Well, we are continuing in this message series in 2 Timothy. We've called this Nothing to Lose because the Apostle Paul is at the very you know, end of his life, possibly the last months or even days. He will soon be executed uh, by the Roman Empire. Nero was the emperor at the time. And uh, he has laid it all out in his life for the cause of the gospel. And at this point, he has got nothing to lose. And he spends this, this letter is really his final kind of download to Timothy, who is a young pastor in Ephesus. Paul's in a Roman prison. And he wants uh, Timothy to just grasp how urgent the, the task is, how important the call is. And uh, he really lays it out there. So uh, that's what we've been talking about. Today we're going to talk about itchy ears. Itchy ears is kind of a strange thing, but we'll get to that. But I want to make a comment first about our election season. This has been a painfully, painfully long time to endure all these speeches and election ads. I don't mean just the presidential ones. I mean, even the ads, you know, the posters littered around our um, city. It's, um, it's just tiring, isn't it? Aren't you just ready for this to be done already? A couple more weeks. And uh, now all all of these politicians, you know, they desperately want to get elected and they they are anxiously trying to figure out what it is you want to hear, because a politician's career uh, is really depends. Their success really depends on telling you what you want to hear. That's how they get elected. So some voters want to hear free education and free health care and free meals. Others of us would rather hear lower taxes, you know, fewer regulations, less government interference. Um, you know, you could probably figure out where I am on that spectrum. But look, we all know that politicians never do and probably never even can really deliver on their good promises. But that doesn't stop them from making them and doesn't seem to stop us from believing them. And so uh, they figure out what you want to hear and that's what they tell you. Well, the Apostle Paul calls it wanting to have our ears tickled. And uh, most Bibles translate this as having itchy ears. It's like the problem of, of, uh, uh, let's say, of, you know, taking medication to um, numb the pain of a larger problem and believing that just because you don't feel the pain anymore, your problem is gone. I was uh, 19 years of age. I was in a fairly serious motorcycle wreck and I fractured my right femur. And I remember there as I lay on the pavement and I looked at my badly leg going, twisted leg going off in the wrong direction and feeling pain unlike anything I could describe to you. Uh, it was pretty exciting when the paramedics showed up and they put me on nitrous oxide. And that stuff is good. <laughs> that is really good. It also goes, you young people, it goes by the nickname of laughing gas. And so, uh, you know, they, you know, would not have made sense for the paramedics to say, oh, you don't feel any more pain? Well, you're good to go. You know, catch you later. Uh, no, I, I still had to go to the hospital and get surgery and therapy and all those things. I actually had to go through more pain to, to get better. It wasn't enough to just medicate the pain. Well, similarly, there's a temptation in life to, to medicate our lives, uh, to, to just make it manageable, to avoid, you know, facing up to what we're really going through or what's really happened to us in the past. We just kind of want to make it, kind of make it smooth. 
we want to tickle those itchy ears. So we listen to what makes us feel good or we, we maybe we immerse ourselves in just perpetually distracting entertainment. All so we can just feel like, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. We get itchy ear syndrome. Well, we're going to read this uh, first few verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can start finding that if you use one of those red Bibles I handed out. You're going to be on page 1002. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul's driving home this point that those who medicate itchy ears, right, with easy messages are missing out on two essential truths for life. Two essential truths. One is that what you do, this is the first truth, what you do with your life matters. What you do with your life matters. And the other part of that, the other truth is that we can make or you can make your life count for the good news of Jesus Christ, or what we also call the gospel. Those are kind of interchangeable terms, gospel and good news. It means the message of Jesus. So what you do with your life matters, and you can make your life count for the gospel. So if you've got Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, I'd love for you to stand with me as we read God's word together. <clears throat> I read from the New Living Translation of the Bible, Second Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Let's go ahead and take a seat together. We thank the Lord for his word this morning. I don't know if you catch this or if you saw how Paul's, just these few phrases and commands here, Paul's words are based on the astounding, sobering, motivating, exciting truth that Jesus Christ is, not was, is the living, that means alive right now in this moment. Jesus is the living judge who will one day call us to account for our lives. When he returns to establish an eternal kingdom, it'll be in a new heaven and a new earth. And he will establish his kingdom as the king and the judge. See, not only is Jesus coming as judge and king. According to Paul, we are in his presence right now. Paul's in Rome in a prison. Timothy's somewhere in Ephesus, far, far apart places. That'll be Italy and Turkey today, right far, far apart places. And he says... I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. He has a sense that we are here right now. Right now at Bethany Church, we are in the presence of the living Lord. He is alive. His presence is here. There's a, there's a line you often hear at weddings when the pastor says, And now in the presence of God and before these witnesses, I pronounce. That's not just a nice poetic phrase to like make you feel good. There's, there's a conviction that when a, when, a husband, when a man and a woman make a covenant of marriage, they're making that vow in the very presence of God. That's one of the reasons why it's so significant. 
in the presence of God. Because God is present. God is here in this moment, in this place. So, don't, don't miss that. We are under his watchful eye, even right now. So, here's the problem. You might read these few verses and you think, well, it's pretty obvious Paul is talking to Timothy, so I don't think it applies to me. Um, it just, it's just for Timothy at that time. But look, there's a larger principle at play in this whole passage. And Timothy, it's this. So Timothy's particular calling was to be a pastor in Ephesus for those Ephesian believers. But you have a calling on your life too. You and I have a calling on our lives too, right now, right in this moment. And so that calling is to make Christ Jesus known wherever you are, whatever community you're in, work, home, school, etc., you have a calling on your life, and it's going to be through your abilities, your spiritual gifts, even your words. And both, both, listen, it's two things. It's the return of Jesus in the future, and it's the presence of Jesus right now that are the motivating factors. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is here now. And that is what motivates us to take seriously the calling of God on your life. That motivates us. So, is this for us? Yes. And the principle is this. That what you do with the rest of your life matters. What you do with the rest of your life matters. So you might feel like nothing you really do matters, right? You live in California, so your vote doesn't really count for anything. Your your kids ignore you. Uh, parents, right? I, I, you know, I was telling first service, you know, I have two sons and I have... I have... The perfect wives picked out for them. But do you think they would listen to what I have to say? No. You know, or maybe you're trying to give, you know, you're middle-aged, you're trying to give your parents some counsel, some advice. They ignore you. Um, you know, your employer is not really interested in your ideas to improve the workplace. You just end up feeling useless. Like, nothing I do matters. Ever feel that way? Even a little bit? Yeah, okay, a few nods. Thank you for... For agreeing with me on that. But life matters because our lives, get this, our lives, your life, my life, will be measured and rewarded by Jesus. For example, Jesus said, said this in Luke chapter 12. You can read this in 1237. Jesus is in the context of a parable and then he applies it this way. He says the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself, that's, that's the master, but he's referring to himself as Jesus. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Imagine, this is part of the promise of a future, uh, eternal time with Jesus. It will be a feast, whatever you think tastes good. And Jesus himself will put on the apron with his nail-scarred hands and feet, and he will serve you. That's a reward. That's a reward. Jesus will do that. What else? Jesus says in Luke um, chapter 6. I think it is. Um, I think this is that's my mistake on the bottom. It should say Luke 6.35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. Not just, that'll work out. Not There's different measures of reward. A very great reward, and you'll be acting, truly acting as children of the Most High, 
for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. What? God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked? And he's saying, basically, we want to be like him. That's where the rewards are. It's pretty powerful stuff. There are rewards, even great rewards to come. For Timothy, the charge or the challenge is, in verse 2, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Others would have may say it like in season and out of season. Uh, whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Look, that's the message, that's the challenge to Timothy the pastor. Don't be surprised if your pastors sometimes poke you and challenge you and prod you a little. Uh, that's, part, that's part of our calling to do so. That's given to us by God to do that for your benefit. So here's the thing. Whether you're five or 25 or 95, your life still counts. The rest of your life still matters. And what you do with it matters. Why? Why would it matter? Because Jesus is hes the king. And as king, Jesus loves you enough. Get this, you guys. Jesus loves you enough to empower you to do what he's called you to do. So these five gals, for example, that just shared their testimony are going to get baptized. God loves them so much that as, as their king, he will empower them to live, if they so choose, to live their whole life for him. Which is what they've stated they want to do. Right? So that's empowering us as king, but also as our judge, as our judge, he, he loves you enough to be fair and just to reward you accordingly. So he empowers you and he rewards you. He's king and he is judge. Now, maybe you're kicking yourself right now internally because you're thinking, well, I have messed up so bad in the past that there's no hope for me. Or maybe you're thinking, Brian, if you knew what I was really like or you knew what my thoughts were really about or what I, you know, what I've been guilty of doing, you know, there's no hope for me. God couldn't use me at all. I'm done for it. Listen, you've got to remember that God has a remarkable way of measuring. It's not based on you and your ability and your righteousness, it's based on his and his gifting and his calling on your life. Do you know that sometimes in your worst moments when you just feel like you've failed and blown it, those are some of the moments that God can work through you most powerfully? It's astounding. It's completely backwards to our way of thinking. But that's how God works. And his way of measuring is not looking everything in the past and sort of weighing it all out. His way of measuring is from right now. The past by faith is forgiven. And the way of measuring is from right now going forward. And that's the measuring stick for God. Isn't that good news? Don't you feel better about that? Like, okay, okay, there's hope for me. Some of you feel like, I'm just surprised the ceiling didn't fall in on me today. Hey, it doesn't work that way. God loves you so much. He says, look, there's always a forward hope for you. It's it's just an awesome thing. So the, the question really then is, as you live your life, will you live oriented in the direction of Jesus Christ and his calling in your life? Or are you just going to live to fill your days and pass the time and hope he comes back quick? I want to live my life oriented to Jesus and his calling on my life. So it matters what you do with the rest of your life. Maybe right now you're wondering what that means. Maybe you're thinking about how to spend your life to make it count. You're not sure what to do. This is a great thing you ask around. Get some input from friends. You can come talk to a pastor. Um, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, my health is limiting me or my finances limit me or I don't have much education or 
that's okay. There are ways that you can live your life to make it count for the Lord and for the good news. Which is kind of my, my next point. It matters what you do with the rest of your life. Right? But you want to make your life count for the good news. So those, that's the other part. So one thing is the rest of your life matters. And how you live the rest of your life matters. And you want to make your life count for the good news. Or the gospel. Those, as I said, interchangeable terms. Making your life count has nothing to do with financial or personal or academic success. That is not what we're talking about here. We're not, we're not talking about sort of completing your bucket list for life. This kind of success is success in the presence of God. Time is short. Make your life count for the things that matter. Make your life count for the good news, the gospel. So, as I, you know, I've said, I, not everyone is called to be, a, say, a full-time missionary or, or a pastor or that kind of thing. But you can be good news-minded in every occupation, from your school years to your retirement years and everything in between. It's adopting a mindset oriented toward the kingdom of God to make life count for the gospel. I want to tell you, for example, about somebody I've never met. Uh, the backstory is about a month ago, we hosted a, an event here on a Sunday night. It was a, a missions dessert night put on by our denomination, Mennonite Brethren Mission. That's the denomination. That's the mission sending agency we're tied in with. And uh, we hosted an event that evening. And one of the speakers at that event is a, is a guy from Brazil who's a missionary to Panama. So the Mennonite Brethren churches in Brazil are sending out missionaries, having to send this guy's name's Einer to Panama, where years and years before, American missionaries had been sent and they started a work among indigenous people there. Great things are happening. Church is planted. Youth are being reached. It's really exciting. He just, he was just a powerful speaker. I have no idea what he said because I believe he spoke in Spanish, but at least his translator gave an amazing message. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, it was just so great. But here's the, here's the catch. That was just so, that really caught me. So he's doing all these amazing things. But he told us that he was a young man when a fellow who was 80 told him about Jesus, shared the gospel with him and led him to Christ. Now, I will never meet that 80-year-old. I know nothing about him. But lots and lots of people. Heaven is being populated through Einer's work in Panama because one 80-year-old guy was faithful to tell him about Jesus. So you can't tell me that, well, if I hit 80, then I'm done. I'm in the clear. No. You continue to have the opportunity to make your life count for the gospel. And what God does from, you know, is another matter. Um, that's just a great story. And, and speaking of that, I just, as an aside, you know, that event where I heard Einer speak here at, at Bethany. Um, it is really helpful to expose yourself to those kind of places and expose your kids and your grandkids to places where we're going to hear gospel stories, where we're going to hear messages of evangelistic work, where we're going to hear messages of people who are serving God in dramatic ways. It's not going to happen so much on a Sunday morning. But to pull ourselves to those places where we're going to be exposed to the stuff, where we're going to hear, wow, that's amazing. Um, your kids, your grandkids need to hear that. You need it. And, uh, and I would also say parents and grandparents, you know, encourage your children and your grandchildren to explore the world, to get out of 
kind of this comfort zone, maybe attend college out of state or do some short-term missions or, or take a year at Bible school. I, Julie, I love, I don't know if you're in the room right now, but I love how Julie said it was that Belize missions trip where things really clicked for her. And, you know, she could have got Zika going down there, right? I, I think, were you the only one that didn't get sick or you got sick? You're only one that didn't get sick. You are more blessed than the rest. Um, you know, the kids got sick. I mean, any number of terrible things could have happened. But God did something really special in that time. Um, when, when you do those kinds of things, maybe a year in a, in a missionary setting or Bible school, your kids will be better for it. And, the, and you're giving the Lord more ways to speak to them. Our own pattern, um, for Becky and I, we have two sons, as I mentioned. When they're about 10 or 12 years old, we started telling them, hey, the year after high school, before you start college, you're going to do a year. You're going to go to Bible school, go to a missions event, could be youth of the mission, could be Cape and Ray. We want you to take a year. We will pay for it. Um, Grandma and Grandpa said they will help pay for it. And we will get you to a place where you're going to first invest a year growing spiritually. So um, thankfully, we started telling that early enough. They didn't really question it. Uh, our older son went to New Zealand to Youth of the Mission. My younger one's in Germany right now at YWAM. And it's spiritually a great experience for them. They're growing more than, than a lot of Sundays packed together, trust me. So I just encourage you parents, don't be afraid to do that. It, it really um, gives the Lord a great opportunity to work in their lives. Okay, that's kind of an aside. Um, it's about making your life count for the good news. And it starts when we decide not to just soothe our ears with, you know, with fluff, right? The, the truth of the Bible is not ours to pick and choose and modify as we please. The boundaries are not personally adjustable. I mean, let me explain it this way. Imagine that how, how many of you guys are about to take your driver's, like within the next year, we'll take your driver's exam, road exam. Okay, so imagine that you go in to take your drivers. Yeah, some of them are looking over their parents saying, right? Um, imagine that you go to the, to, to the DMV and you, you tell the, the instructor, the examiner, you say, hey, um, before we um, start out on the road, I just want to say, like, I've read the book and I have a couple of changes I want to make because um, I'm pretty sure I can be trusted to exceed the speed limit. And, um, well, I've learned from my dad to go through red lights and um, so I think I can do that, too. And talking on my phone, I'm, very, I'm a very good multitasker. I can talk on my phone while I drive. How far do you think you'd get into that exam? Zero. The examiner would be out. You're done. Like, you, you'd be, it'd be over, right? Well, it's the same way. You, we don't get that privilege with, with Scripture. And, and you adults, this is not, that was not the place to sort of elbow your spouse either. Um, Right? We don't get to modify God's word for our own comfort. It doesn't work that way. So back to, to verse 5. After stating what is probably obvious, um, that Timothy as a teacher needs to stay on it with good teaching, and uh, you know, no matter what, then Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, but you... When, do we have that verse uh, online? Uh, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. So God has given you a ministry as well. And there's three things in there. A clear mind, courage and suffering, and telling the gospel. Or another way to say that might be to say live missionally. That's kind of a made-up churchy word. just means to live with 
a mission in mind, to, to have a purpose going forward, to live missionally. First of all, keep a clear mind. Literally, it's to be sober-minded. Uh, you, you've got to be able to think straight if you're going to hear from God and respond to what he has. This is one of my arguments against excessive alcohol use or drug use, including marijuana or overuse of prescription meds. If you've got to keep a clear mind because a foggy brain is not ready to do God's work. Okay. Secondly, there's courage in suffering. Now, we've talked a lot about suffering in this book. It's come up again and again and again. But remember that if you're persecuted for the gospel, assuming you're not just being an annoying jerk about it, but if it's actually for the gospel you're being persecuted, it's not you they reject, it's Jesus. I love Madison's little testimony. She's here somewhere, right? How you got teased being called a Jesus child or child of Jesus or something, didn't I? I'm like, that is awesome. That is a really awesome thing. But that happens. And, uh, and church, just so you know, that will be happening more. We, we have kind of come to the end of the easy, comfortable life as the church in America. And the dark is going to get darker and the light is going to get lighter. And I believe God is beginning to do a kind of a, a sifting work of dividing out who will really follow him. Who is really going to stand and follow him? And some of these labels that we've had are going to fall away. And it's, it is going to be, it's going to be difficult at, at times and in places to follow Jesus Christ. And will we put up with suffering? Will we have courage in suffering? And then thirdly, to tell the gospel or to live missionally. You know, I want the people around me to come to Christ. But to be honest, I have, I have yet to lead my immediate neighbors to Christ, except for one uh, many years ago. But I, I seek to just just love them as Jesus would love them. And, and it opens up doors to faith conversations from time to time. So Paul says to Timothy, work at telling others. You're, if you're in the New International Version, it might say, do the work of an evangelist. Um, Timothy wasn't an evangelist, but he could still share the gospel with people as you and I are called to do. So have a clear mind. Have courage in suffering and work at telling others the good news. All right, so you throw all these things in, these, these qualities and beliefs and behaviors. We should end up now with a life that matters for the gospel. But really, 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 in actual day-to-day terms, what does this mean? Like, how do you, how do you actually do this? All right, in practical ways, let me suggest three steps to make this work. Three steps to make this work. Because over and over in this letter, Paul has written about truth, says to cling to truth, to pass it on to others. Last week he pointed out that Scripture has everything we need, right, to keep us on the right path. Verse 16, verse 17 says that he's equipping us for all the work that he's called us to do. So if we're going to live in a way that matters, we first need to make God's word a priority. Make God's word a priority. Give, give it importance in your life. Make God's word a priority. Um, Morgan, if you can go to the next slide. There we go. Make God's word a priority. God's word, the Bible, we talked a lot about this last week, is not optional. It's not on the professor's list of, you know, extra reading for extra credit. It doesn't, it's, that's not how it works. It's essential to your life as a follower of Christ. So make it a priority. Read it. Pay attention to it. Take notes. Join a connection group. Um, you know, attend a Bible study. Make the Bible a priority. If you're a guy and you can join me at 6.30 on Thursday mornings over at the Starbucks here, we'll do devotions together. We'll find ways to make the Bible a priority in our life. Secondly, if we're going to live for the gospel, 
we need to obey in the basics, right? Things like, by the basics, I mean things like gathering with believers on a regular basis. The Bible talks about that. Or learning to tithe faithfully so that even in our money, God is our priority. Or caring for the poor. Or making the choice to be baptized as a believer, as these five gals are doing today. Or serving others. These are all essential in the Christian life. See, if you can't do the basics, if you can't do the stuff that God has already said to do in his word, why would he entrust you with more kind of opportunities and and, um, kind of a missional experience on the fly? We you obey in the basics so that it opens up for more opportunities. And then, which would lead to, to one more thing, is that to listen for God's spontaneous commands. Listen for God's spontaneous commands. I have a conviction, I really believe this, that God is speaking. That he speaks to you, that he speaks to me, or at least he wants to. And it's the responsibility is ours to learn to listen, to learn to hear what God is saying. It Sometimes it's a matter of slowing down. Sometimes it's a matter of sort of clearing the deck in our life a little bit. But getting to those places where we learn to listen and not just hear, but also the will to do what God would say. To hear and to respond. I really believe that. So it, it might come as a, that gentle inner nudge. It might be a reminder, a thought reminder to call somebody or to do something. It might be just kind of an urge to help at something in the church or a community out in the community somewhere. It might be a verse of scripture that leaps off the page and just, you know, catches you like I was sharing last week. Maybe an acquaintance reaches out to you and just has to say, hey, I just I just want to I have a friend who once in a while just sends me an email. Say, I was just praying for you and I had this kind of vision I had from the Lord. I think it's for you. I want to share it with you. And it's like always like super encouraging and it's just awesome. Right. So listen for God's spontaneous commands and do those. Paul wrote, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Friend, you you simply do not know when you're going to have a moment to share the gospel. It might be very inconvenient when God calls you to do something. Or to help someone financially or or to listen to a friend who's hurting or pray for someone's healing. But God, when he's speaking. Right. And if you're versed in truth. And you've kept a clear mind. God, when he's speaking, knows that you'll be ready. And you could make a lifelong difference. Well, all this to say is we live in very interesting times. And we have an option. We can just close our ears and just pretend it's all going to be fine. And just do our own thing. Or say, no, I'm going to make my life count. I'm going to make it matter for the gospel. I'm going to be in a church that loves the neighborhood and loves the community. I want to reach our neighborhood with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to find ways to let people know that God loves them. The world is in turmoil. But here's the, here's the thing. And you need to keep this in mind as we head now into the election the last couple of weeks. The world's in turmoil. They need peace. And who's Jesus? The Prince of Peace. That's who we follow. And if you as a believer are all worked up about things that don't really matter, like elections... And you're not excited about Jesus, who's your king and returning judge. You're going to get messed up. You're going to get all jumbled upside down. You've got to keep your eye on the fact that Jesus is faithful and the one we follow. And he's the hope for the nations. So while everyone else might be trying to soothe itchy ears, you've got the privilege of taking the harder, harder road to make Christ Jesus known, to make the rest of your life count for the good news message that only Jesus saves. Look, you, you, 
I'm so grateful. A number of you are here as, as uh, family of those who are being baptized today, some of your friends and guests. Thanks so much for coming. I just love it that you're here. Um, it's, it's a great thing. But what I'm going to say is for, for everybody, whether you're a regular here or not, if you've never stopped to give your life to Christ, whether it's your first time in church or your millionth time, I'm telling you, I want to give you that opportunity. You cannot be saved by being a good person. You cannot be made but right with God by trying harder. That doesn't work. All your good efforts come from an imperfect, a place of imperfection. The Bible says, like, doesn't say, just try harder and everything will be right. The Bible says, we're hopelessly lost without salvation. We don't just need a buddy, we need a savior. And Jesus is your savior who can forgive all your wrongdoing, all your rebellion against God, and instead give you a new heart to follow him. And as I pray today, I'm going to give you that opportunity to say, I want to give my life to Christ today. Like these gals who are getting baptized, to say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be forgiven of my sin, and have an eternal life with God. And if you're right now thinking, I, I want to know more about that, but I want to talk to somebody, you can talk to one of us afterward. But maybe you're saying, I want, I want that today. I'll give you that opportunity to respond as we pray. Let's stand together as we close. Lord, we are really, really um, grateful that you love us so much that you would put a calling on our life. We thank you for preserving these, uh, these, these, this letter from Paul to Timothy. Lord, this challenge to live his life in a way that matters whether he's got just a little time or a long time. And God, we want to be the same way. God, I, I just pray that you'd be stirring each of us, that you'd be stirring each of us to examine our lives and look for ways that, that we want to just make it count. Make it count. Lord, in, in the times when we're having fun, in the times when we're at work, in the times when it's serious, in all those places, Lord, it can count for you. I'm so grateful for that. And church, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we're just in a quiet moment. We've already established that the presence of the Lord is here, that Jesus is here. I want to say, if you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus today, I want to be forgiven of my sin and made whole, I want to, I want to have a new, kind of a new life in Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. Would you just, if that's you saying, I want to give my life to Christ today, you can just raise your hand and someone will just look at me and we'll pray together after the service, after the baptisms today. And for the rest of you, maybe this is just the starting point of, of making that decision. Don't just blow it off. Talk to somebody. Talk to the person you came with today. Say, what would it mean for me to become a follower of Jesus? Take it for real. God, we want our lives to count for you. We love you. We thank you that you love us. You love each one in this room. We give you praise. We thank you. In the precious name of our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen.